Hello, I'm Bill Lawrence, and it's time for Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Deluc was about a, uh, a spinster writer who, who really was a, a boat adrift, I think, in life, not knowing quite which way to turn, and uh, had had an incident in her life where she was wanted to get away from everything and, and travelled to Switzerland on her own um, and observed other people in the hotel. And there's a couple of English women, obviously mother and daughter, say late 50s and mid-20s. We filmed about a month in Switzerland in, on Lake Lucerne, and uh, it was a great camaraderie. Most of us would go down uh, to the bar, have a drink, have a meal, but not Anna. Anna was the total professional. Uh, she was up in her turret room with her script and her thoughts and her marker pencils, um, and uh, also, I think, trying to establish... Uh, the slight remoteness of this character. I think uh, she was just a, a total professional in that way. You should decide what you want to believe in. 
Betty Ford spoke out on women's rights, broke taboos about breast cancer and publicly admitted her own addiction to prescription pills and alcohol. The writer Godfrey Hodgson was a Washington correspondent at the time of the Ford presidency. One thinks of her as of him as a solid, even stolid, Middle Westerners. In fact, she'd had a fairly difficult life. I think her father died in an accident which may well have been suicide and her first husband was an alcoholic. And as a result, she worked as a model. She was a very pretty girl. And she worked as a dancer. And eventually, she got very interested in the sort of Martha Graham style of modern dance. But she'd had to sort of look after herself and work her way up, really.
1951, the American stunt flyer Betty Skelton became known as the fastest woman on earth. She was three times national aerobatics champion, set altitude records for light planes, and held an unofficial speed record of 421 miles per hour. Betty had caught the flying bug as a child living near the Pensacola Naval Air Base in the 1930s, and it was a Navy pilot who allowed her to fly solo for the first time at the age of 12. Her famous Pitt Special biplane now hangs in the National Air and Space Museum building near Dulles Airport. One of Betty's most famous stunts was known as the inverted ribbon cut. A ribbon cut was a staple at air shows, which is basically a ribbon that is strung between two poles that are held by two people on either side of the runway. And the pilot approaches to the ribbon and cuts the ribbon with the propeller. Flying about 10 feet off the ground. Yeah, 10 to 15 or 20 feet off the ground. What else could this possibly be apart from Bill's big bag of onions? Words and music, spoken word and lyrics. What are the connections? You have to decide for yourself. The beautiful actress Dana Winter started her film career in Britain, but successfully crossed the Atlantic to secure a Hollywood contract. She was best known for her role in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. She began as a bit player in British studio pictures. Here and in America, she was often cast as the perfect English rose, though she was a surgeon's daughter from Berlin, whose mother was as Austro-Hungarian as the Archduke Franz Ferdinand's epaulettes. The name on her birth certificate was Dagmar Winter, and underneath the delicate image, the gently modulated voice, there was steel. In the 1950s, she fought on the front line of live American TV drama. She was nerveless before audiences of 40 million 
and derived sly pleasure at the panic that idea induced in more suggestible performers. In her British films, she embodied sweet reason, and she usually did it in a uniform. Watch her in Sink the Bismarck as she woos Kenneth Moore's naval commander with the story of her fiancé's death at Dunkirk. turned a personal tragedy into a campaign to improve the safety of everyone in the UK. In July 1986, Diana's 25-year-old daughter Susie, who was working as an estate agent in London, disappeared. It's precisely a week ago since Susie Lamplew left her estate agent's office in Fulham to meet a man she believed to be a prospective house buyer. The appointment was clearly noted in her diary. The time, 12.45, the client, a Mr Kipper. Diana threw herself into the task of trying to find Susie. With her husband, Paul, she appeared at a police news conference. I particularly remember me saying, or somebody asking, what was Susie like? And me saying, well, she was just an ordinary girl, meaning that she wasn't famous or, you know, somebody well-known or whatever. And Diana chipping in and saying, I mean, cutting across me, and saying, no, she wasn't. She was quite exceptional. I drink good coffee Every morning Comes from a place That's far away When I'm done I feel like Without you here, there is less to say. I don't want you thinking I'm unhappy. What if? 
gets closer to the truth But if I lived till I was a hundred and two I just don't think I'll ever get over you No longer moved to drink strong whiskey I shook the hand of If I live till I could no longer climb my stairs, I just don't think I'll ever get over Face it dances and it haunts me. The laughter still ringing in my ears. I still find pieces of your presence here. Even Don't want you thinking that I don't get asked to dinner Cause I'm young to say that I sometimes do Even though I may soon feel the touch of love Just don't think I'll ever get old If I lived till I was hundred and two I just don't think I'll ever get old Listening to Colne Radio on 106.6 FM, and this is your late-night journey through intriguing spoken word and sometimes undeservedly unfamiliar music. Yes, it's Bill's Big Bag of Onions.
Growing up in the 1970s, Thursday nights meant only one thing, Top of the Pops. A chance to see how your musical heroes were getting on in the charts and to catch a glimpse of the dance group Pan's People. Well, Flick Colby, who's died aged 65, was the American dancer and choreographer who came up with the girls' routines week in and week out. Not everyone approved. Mary Whitehouse complained that their costumes were too revealing and BBC managers asked the dancers to hide away when Prince Charles visited TV Centre in case he was shocked by their outfits. Flick Colby was born Felicity Colby in upstate New York. She moved to England with her husband in the 1960s, keen to experience swinging London. At a dance class, she met Dee Dee, Ruth, Louise, Andrea and Babs, and they decided to form a group. I'm in need of a reliever. Diana Wynne-Jones wrote children's fantasy books. Titles like the Crestomancy series, The Ogre Downstairs and Archer's Goon attracted a loyal young following. Diana Wynne-Jones' own childhood was very difficult. She was five years old when the Second World War broke out. Along with her two sisters, she was first sent to live with her grandparents in Wales and then taken by her parents to the Lake District to live in a kind of Quaker commune. 
It was on the banks of Lake Coniston, in a house which had once been occupied by the family that inspired Arthur Ransom's Swallows and Amazons stories. Dr. Farrah Mendelssohn of Middlesex University has made a study of Diana Wynne-Jones' work. Most of the books are contemporary, and the children are very contemporary. One of the interesting things is the degree to which they're often dealing with quite real problems, at the same time as they're dealing with magical things. They're lonely, they've often got very difficult parents, they're bullied, they are struggling to find autonomy and a way through life. These are the days where I put my head in the clouds And my body feels out of place I'm sorting things out Elizabeth Sladen began her career at the Liverpool Playhouse, where she excelled as an assistant stage manager, so much so that she had to make deliberate mistakes in order to get her break on the stage. She later appeared on television in episodes of Coronation Street, Zed Cars and Some Mothers Do Have Em. But she got her big break when TV producer Barry Letts discovered her and cast her as Sarah Jane Smith in Doctor Who, the role for which she will be best remembered, not least by historian and Doctor Who expert Dominic Sandbrook. Elizabeth Sladen occupied a special place in the imaginations of millions of British children. As Sarah Jane Smith, the plucky investigative reporter with a nice line in feminist repartee, she played the best-loved human character ever invited on board the TARDIS. This is Colm Radio on 106.6 FM, and you're listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions, the late-night blend of music and words that says and means so much and yet never really explains anything.
It's a Bill's big bag of onions. Edith Helm from Oklahoma was the first woman ever to receive a kidney transplant. She died at the age of 76, making her the world's longest surviving transplant recipient. In 1956, Edith was a 20-year-old newlywed who'd been diagnosed with kidney failure. The pioneering doctor, Joseph Murray, who'd earlier carried out the first kidney transplant on a man, agreed to treat her. The donor was to be Edith's twin sister, Wanda Foster. We spoke to Dr Murray and to Wanda. But first, Professor Anthony Warrens, Vice President of the British Transplantation Society. What people need to realise is that if you had kidney failure, it was a death sentence. Um, it hadn't been done in a woman before, and of course that might have had implications for the ability to have a child. And so nobody knew what was going to happen. You pinch your cheeks Bring back the colour Some Make a world of difference But you belong here Where to a time zone Of drafty hearts Of stoic arts and crafts You try to be brave Make it go away Leave the lights on Sometimes all night And carry on regardless So you by the darkness Try to be brave Don't give the game away You're a strong one Just carry on And no one needs to notice That there's only silence Holding
Josephine Hart was the best-selling novelist who set out on a personal mission to bring poetry to the widest possible audience. Her first novel, Damage, sold more than a million copies and was translated into 26 languages. Married to the advertising executive Maurice Saatchi, Josephine used her profile to promote her passion for poetry, persuading leading actors to join her for high-profile public readings. Josephine was born in Mullingar in Ireland. She was one of seven children. Her friend Melvin Bragg describes her character. She was an extraordinary mixture of being exuberant and exhilarating and completely serious about literature and occasionally about politics and so on, but about literature. And it's a rare combination because that sort of seriousness that she carried, very well freighted with knowledge, usually makes people rather solemn and, and stern, but not with her. Madeleine Sims campaigned on many issues, from consumers' rights to voluntary euthanasia and even against piped music in public. But her greatest campaign was for the reform of Britain's abortion law. Madeleine was born in Vienna, 
the daughter of a Jewish couple who later moved to England. She was educated at St Paul's Girls' School and Aberdeen University, where she first began to work for women's rights. In the 1960s, she joined the Abortion Law Reform Association, or ALRA. Dillis Cossey was the secretary of the association. Madeline was a very quiet, ladylike person, if you met her. But she was incredibly passionate underneath. She was completely committed to the cause of women's rights. And it was in that context that she saw abortion. The fragments of spoken word are the onions. Crafted eclectic music provides the big bag. And Bill is the only broadcaster in Northeast Essex who could be bothered to do it. That's why this is Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Mother Thecla was the last surviving nun who'd lived at the enclosed Orthodox Monastery of the Assumption just outside Whitby in Yorkshire. She was best known as the spiritual muse and librettist of the composer Sir John Taverner. 
Mother Thekla was born Marina Scharf in Russia in 1918 at the height of the revolution. Her parents emigrated to England and educated their daughter in London. After working in British intelligence during the war, Marina became a teacher. But a meeting with another nun convinced her that she had a vocation and she devoted the rest of her life to prayer. The Yorkshire Monastery was a run-down farmhouse where the two nuns lived in seclusion, observing daily rituals and cultivating the surrounding land. Sir John Taverner stumbled across Mother Thekla when he read a book she'd written about Mary of Egypt. He wanted to turn the story into an opera, so arranged to visit her.
Sylvia Robinson was a singer, producer and record company owner who became known as the mother of hip-hop. She was born Sylvia Vanderpool in New York and in her teens began recording rhythm and blues songs. She later married the musician Joe Robinson and together they formed All Platinum Records. Sylvia wrote and produced hits such as Shame, Shame, Shame and Pillow Talk, which she also performed. But later, when the company hit financial trouble, it was saved and turned into Sugar Hill Records with the discovery of a new sound, rap, taken from the gritty streets of New York. The cities have been abandoned and kids really are left for dead. Schools are in bad shape, there's no jobs and really no recreation whatsoever. And this culture starts to spring up from the concrete, if you will. Kids taking their record players out into the parks and playgrounds and and basketball courts and throwing parties for each other. So this culture in the mid-1970s basically supplants, in a way, the gang culture. Hello, children. Now we are going to see the poem Trains by James Tipper. Trains, poem, over the mountains, over the plains, over the rivers, here come the trains. a great bit, don't you think? <sighs> I'm Bill Lawrence, and I've been accompanying you through a world of music and spoken word. Join me again shortly for the other half of my big bag of onions.